You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington, DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, good morning. My name is Wesley, and uh, as we've already observed, we are in quite a bizarre passage this morning. Uh, probably a very original Advent text that you probably wouldn't uh, typically go through during this season of, of jolly and love and all the great things that Christmas brings, but I promise you there is, there's meaning behind this. As you look in the Old Testament, as you see the Hebrew prophets, uh, they prophesied of the coming Messiah. Uh, what, what we learn from them, whether it's the minor prophets or the major prophets, they are prophesying of this one to come, of the advent, of the arrival of the Messiah. And we celebrate that at Christmas. And so during the month of December, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of, uh, some of the prophets and what they wrote about the coming Messiah as it kind of prepares our hearts, so to speak, of the coming of Jesus at Christmas. Now, one of the themes of Christmas movies, which I love, uh, is the theme of love. There is a particular genre of Christmas movies that we just coin Hallmark Christmas movies that is all about this theme of love. And, and you'll see up there um, a, 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 a compilation of all of them that look exactly the same uh, because they have the exact same plot in every single one of these movies. Now, now that's a little bit of a hyperbole, but, but you get my drift. Uh, my wife and I will watch, I, I will confess, we will watch Hallmark Christmas movies during this season because I feel like it's something you have to do every now and then. And my whole reason for wanting to watch these movies is so I can talk throughout the whole movie and predict the plot of the movie. I can care less about anything, the bad acting, the terrible scene, the, 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 the low budget, whatever it may be. I don't care about any of that. All I care about is I can predict the course of the movie from the very first scene. And the reason why is because all the movies are the same. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are so you can save you time. The scene starts out in a big city with this girl who has her big city job. And she's up for a big promotion at her big city job. But her, her cruel boss tells her that to get this big promotion, she has to go to the small town. And she has to close down the factory or the local bakery or the mom and pop shop that the whole town somehow is employed by. <laughs> and so she goes to the small town. And as she goes to small town in her big girl power suit, she walks up to the coffee shop of all places first. And as she goes to the coffee shop, guess what? She orders hot chocolate. Because that's what you do when you go to a coffee shop, right? And as she gets her hot chocolate, she walks out the door, and immediately she bumps into this, this gentleman, this rugged man who looks like he's a, he's a male model from an F-150 co- truck commercial, right? And, and he's a single dad, and he owns a Christmas tree farm, and you know, he gives Christmas trees away for free because they have to make money in this town, and, uh, and everybody loves him, right? And immediately she, she kind of scoffs at him, right? And across the road is a park bench where this old guy with a white beard and a red coat is looking. He kind of winks, right? Because, uh, you know, he's, he's Santa Claus. Um, and, and, then, and then from there, she, she continues on her business. But over a course of time, she realizes she starts to fall for this man, right? And she realizes that her, her, her big city boyfriend is a terrible person, that she doesn't want to be with him anymore. And so she falls for this man. They team up for good and they save the local bakery. And, um, and, then, and then this iconic scene happens at the end of the movie, right? This love scene. The fake snow's falling. They're riding a horse because apparently it's the only transportation in Christmas town. And, 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 and they're there on Christmas Eve with this fake snow falling and they, they have their first kiss, right? And they live happily ever after. That is a Hallmark Christmas movie right there, guys. I just saved you time. Thank you. Now, let's contrast that for a moment for the love story we're about to read about, which is about as far from a Hallmark movie as you can get. 
Because the love story that we're about to enter into is one of a very ugly and messy marriage. But there's something authentic and honest about this love story that actually teaches us something real and authentic about the love of God. And what we're going to find today, and our, our main idea from this very shocking and, and raw and authentic story, is about our great Messiah and his love for us. And particularly a characteristic of his love for us, and that is simply this, that God is faithful in his love to us. He is always, always faithful in his love towards us. And if there is something that we could be reminded of in this Christmas season, it is that. That the unwavering and great love of how God pursues us in the coming Messiah, that his great love for us and the relationship he desires to have with us. And so from the story, we're going to learn about this, and we're going to ask three questions about uh, uh, this text in Hosea chapter 3. And here are the three questions from our outline today. How does God relate to us? Number two, how is our relationship broken in how we relate to him? And number three, how can God heal our relationship? How do we relate to God? How does he relate to us? How is our relationship broken? And then how can God heal our relationship? Let's go ahead and dive into the text. Verse 1 of this obscure text in chapter 3 of Hosea. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now, we're introduced here to Hosea, who's this prophet. And a prophet in the Old Testament, their job, their responsibility is to speak for God. God comes to them, and, and, and typically he says something like, thus saith the Lord, or I, here's my word. And the prophet is then to take that and turn around and proclaim it to his people. Sometimes a prophet is asked not just to proclaim in, in words, but also in action. That God calls and tells the prophet to do something, an action that would then display what later he would tell them. And that's what Hosea is commanded to do here, that God is actually telling him to live something else. And what he tells him to do is to go and to marry a woman named Gomer. And essentially the theme here in the book of Hosea is, is God is saying that just as, as you are married to Gomer, so am I married to my people. So am I with my people, right? That, that is the theme here. In other words, how we relate to God is not just looking at him as the king of the world and that we are citizens in his kingdom. We don't just relate to God as he is our father and we are his children. But, but Hosea is teaching us something about the intimacy that God wants with us, the closeness God wants with us, the, the enduringness of, of what God wants with us, the intensity of his relationship, so much so that the only way to describe it is a husband to his wife. And the, and the Old Testament describes this relationship throughout. You can look at Ezekiel 16, you can see Jeremiah 2 and 4, you can see Isaiah 54, which simply says this, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. Now, why is it important for us to start here and to see that the whole, the whole book of Hosea is pointing to this marriage relationship? It's because a, a marriage relationship is one of priority. It's one of great importance. You see, from human terms, there is no relationship that is greater than a love a spouse has for their other spouse. That relationship is a priority. It's of first importance, which means that if you are married and that relationship is strong, no matter else, what is it, whatever is going on in life, your life is good because that relationship is what is most important. And what Hosea is going to show us through, through this, this story here is that that's how God looks at us. He is our husband which means he must be of ultimate importance to us. 
which means that he is not just a suggested add-on to our life, which means he's not just the good vibes we need when we're in trouble, right? What, what Hosea is going to teach us here is that his relationship with us and our relationship with him must be a priority. Nothing could come before that. But not just for the sake of importance, but, but because marriage is intimate, right? It's intimate in so many ways. It's intimate in knowledge, you know? I mean, I mean, the reality is you can hide yourself, your true self, from other people. Uh, when you were a child, you, you, you found ways to hide your true self from your parents, right? As parents, we could hide ourselves from children. Coworkers, you could hide your true self from them. Even your closest friends, you could hide things about your true self. But your relationship with your spouse, you can't hide yourself from your spouse. There, there is no hiding who you truly are to them. And what, what Jose is going to show us is that this relationship, how we relate to God through, through the symbolism of marriage, is that we can't hide ourselves from God. There is a closeness, there is an intimacy. We can't know God from a distance. We have to be close to him. We can't just know him formally on a Sunday service. He has to be a part of every part of our life, every square inch of our life. There's nothing that we can hide from him or keep from him. That's the, that's the intimacy that God wants with us through a relationship. But it's deeply passionate as well. It, it has the power to change you. The, the imagery of a husband is not just a husband, but a bridegroom who loves his bride. A, a, a bridegroom who, who has a heart for his bride. And that kind of relationship can change you in a way that nothing else can. It can change your identity in a way that nothing else can. And here's an example of this. If one of you were to come up to me at the end of the service and say, Wesley, you're, you're a really kind man. I'm going I'm to probably feel good about that. I'm going to probably say thank you. But I'm also internally going to be like, I, I kind of fooled you. <laughs> because you don't, you don't know how irritable I can get sometimes. You don't know how impatient I can be sometimes. I kind of have this patient demeanor up here, this pastoral demeanor, right? But you don't, you don't know like, how angry I can get sometimes. But if my wife Abby comes up to me and says, Wesley, you're the kindest man I've ever met, which she says that often. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if she were to say that to me, like, there's no way I could return to her and say, I fooled you, because she knows everything about me. And those words matter. If, if a spouse says you are the most beautiful person in the world, if the whole world says you're ugly, it doesn't matter. You feel beautiful. If the whole world says you're beautiful and your spouse says you're ugly, you feel ugly. That's the power of that intimacy. And, and that's why God is, is wanting this descriptor of our relationship with him. That he is not just a husband. He is like a bridegroom in how he delights in us and how he looks at us and how he desires intimacy with us. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've been a part of a wedding, you know that moment, right? Where the bridegroom is standing up there and he is awaiting the bride to come down the aisle in her beauty, her beauty and her radiance. And as she's coming down the aisle, he just wants to run up and sweep her up in his arms, right? He won't do that because that's going to ruin the ceremony, but that's what he wants to do, right? He wants to promise the world to her. He wants to lay down his life for her. And the, the descriptor of God as our husband is that, he delights so much in us that he wants to sweep us up in his arms. He wants to lay down his life for us. He wants that type of intimacy with his people, which means the most incredible moments of the most incredible marriages of this world will pale in comparison. They are a subtle hint to the way God desires to love us and relate to us. Hosea is showing this in the front end, but then we look at the story of Hosea and we say, well, that doesn't seem to be reality here. Why is that not reality? Well, let's look at question number two. How is our relationship broken? How is our relationship broken? Look back at verse one again. And the Lord said to me, go again and love this woman. Now he's saying go again because he's referring back to chapter one where the Lord comes to Hosea and he tells him this. He says, go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he goes and he marries Gomer. In other words, here's the scene. 
God comes to Hosea and says, hey, you see that woman over there? That woman over there, Gomer? He says, yeah, that woman? Yeah. He says, go marry her. I want you to go marry that woman. But there's a problem with that. Gomer is described as a prostitute. He says, go marry that woman. And, and he, 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 he tells him, like, this is going to happen. And some of us would love a little bit of prophecy about who to marry, right? That would be nice if God just told us, like, go marry that person. <laughs> but in this situation, we want a little less prophecy, right? <laughs> because he says, go marry that woman. And, and Jose's like, what, that woman? He's like, yeah, that woman. And let me tell you about that woman. You're going to marry her, and she's absolutely going to break your heart. You're going to marry her, and she is going to betray you. You're going to marry her, and she's going to trample on your heart. You're going to marry her, and she is going to be unfaithful to you, but I still want you to go marry her. Why? Because, again, he's a prophet, and his job is to understand who God is and God's character so that he can communicate that to the people of God. And, and what he's showing us here in Hosea chapter 3 is simply this, that we cannot understand God until we understand our sin. We cannot understand fully who God is until we understand our nature. You know, the best way to understand the human heart and, and nature in this life is to experience when the person we love most in this world betrays us. When you experience that kind of hurt, you understand what Jose is going through here. He tells him, says, go marry this woman in chapter one. They have a few kids, which is a, another story for another day. And then immediately in chapter two, she's unfaithful to him. And immediately she falls into the hands of another lover. And in chapter 2, we see that Hosea is doing the most honorable thing possible. He is going to that other man's house, and he is still providing for her. He's still dropping off food for her, and yet she continues to fall in the hands of other lovers. And it gets worse and worse. And then we get to chapter 3, and what we just read just a moment ago, uh, what Justin just read, it shows that now Gomer is up for sale. She's in slavery. I mean, we don't know exactly how that happened. Maybe, maybe this, this other lover that she went to, maybe she fell into debt, and, and he wanted to, to sell her off that way, or maybe, maybe he was kind of her pimp and, and she's lost her marketability, marketability and now he's, he's selling her off. Whatever the case may be, the point is, it's bad. The point is, this story has gotten bad. Uh, the, the point is that she is now in, in this terrible situation. She has fallen as, par, as far as a person could fall. She's as broken as she can be. She's as miserable as she can be. And the book of Hosea is reminding us that that is the image of our relationship with God. Because verse 1 says, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, in Hosea 3, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now, cakes of raisins, by the way, is, is, was a delicacy that was served at idol feasts. So he's referring back to idolatry. He's not trying to convict us of, of loving desserts during the holiday season, okay? That's not, what this is, that's not the point. The point is God is saying, Hosea, your marriage is a shambles. Your wife has gone and she has put her, herself in the arms of another lover. And that is exactly what happens when I love my people and they seek other gods. That is exactly the same feeling when they worship anything other than me and before me. You see, when you disobey a father figure, or you disobey an authority figure, you feel, you feel bad about it, right? And, and you know that there's, there's righteous anger that can come down from that. But there's another depth of feeling when you put yourself in the arms of another lover than the one who loves you most. That cuts deeper. That hurts. That hits differently. And God is saying that is precisely why our relationship is broken. Because we too pursue things in his place. And until we understand that we do that, we will never be able to understand his steadfast love and his faithfulness to us. Until we see that we ourselves are Gomer in this story. That we are the ones who are out of control. That we, like Gomer, we're addicted. We are broken. 
we can't stop ourselves from pursuing other loves other than God and putting things in his place for resting our souls in the arms of another lover. And that's what he says in verse one here. That is what it looks like when something else becomes more important than God in our lives, that we are giving ourselves to that. No matter what it is, a good thing, wealth, children, marriage, your parents' achievements, social advancements, career advancements, whatever it may be, if it becomes the one that you are seeking to put your arms in, it becomes the most important things in your life, it is your real God. That is what Hosea 3 is teaching us here. And just like Gomer, she's empty inside. And because of that emptiness inside of her, she is, she is looking to fill it up with false intimacy in the arms of other lovers. She is pursuing that time and time again, but it never satisfies her. In fact, it leads her to enslavement. And God has the audacity to make that comparison with us. And he says, when we, when we have things that are more important than him in our lives, we are doing the same thing with our souls as Gomer is doing with her body. We are putting ourselves in the arms of something or someone else that we said we have to have it. We're giving ourselves to it. It becomes the lover of our souls. And it is a love that will despise us. It is a love that cannot provide for us. It is a love that cannot satisfy or redeem us. It is a love that did not create us, but can only enslave us. What God is teaching us through Hosea is that when we understand the absolute devastation of having the person we love most betray us, to be unfaithful to us, then we will understand how God feels about our waywardness of sin. And when we understand in our hearts that we are like Gomer, and that we are addicted to these other lovers, and we are enslaved by them, only then will we begin to understand the great love in which God pursues us. Because there's good news from this broken relationship, and that's with our third question here. How can God heal us this Christmas how can he heal our relationship? In verse 1, he tells us again, the Lord said to me, go again. Go again to this woman. She has betrayed you, Hosea. She is up for sale now, but go again to her. And in essence, what God is telling Hosea in this moment is, I know you have more than enough reasons to leave her, but I'm telling you to go pursue her instead. Now, I just want to acknowledge here that this is not addressing divorce or, or biblical grounds for divorce. That is not the case here, okay? Hosea is, is doing this as a picture of God's pursuit and his love for us. And for what we can tell about this time period is that, is that the, the, the culture of Israel had, had so uh, just degraded to the point where it was like every other pagan nation. And so what's happened here is they've influenced the culture of Israel to the point where there's literally a public auction going on right now. And Gomer is being auctioned off in the public marketplace. Most likely, she is stripped virtually naked, and she is standing up there. And if you imagine the scene, she is up there, probably has her eyes closed because it's the last piece of protection for her dignity and this humiliation. And as she's up there, just, just, just hear the words of what's happening in this moment. You hear the voices of these men. Five shekels, eight shekels. And then all of a sudden, she hears a familiar voice. It's her husband. She's probably thinking, what in the world is he doing here? Why would he, why would he want me at all? And she hears his voice, 15 shekels. Alethic, a homer of barley, sold to Hosea. In that moment, she probably, he comes up to her most likely and he gets her down. He probably tries to clothe her to respect her dignity and he leads her away. And then you probably think, Gomer's probably thinking, how? How can he still love me? How can he still want me? Maybe he just wants to get revenge. That's why he did this. But then we get to verse three. 
And Hosea says this, Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. Now this is a difficult verse to understand. It's, it's difficult to even translate into the English language. But what he's doing here is he's speaking tenderly to her. When he says that, that you are to live with me, what he is saying there is you are not coming to me as a slave. You're coming to me as my wife. I want to build a life with you. But then notice what he says next. He gives a time period. He says for many days, you're not going to be intimate with no man, including me. There's going to be a time period in which we don't sleep together, Gomer. And you certainly don't sleep with anyone else. But then notice the promise at the end. And I will behave the same way towards you. In other words, he's saying, and indeed, I will be yours. I will be faithful and committed to you. Essentially, Hosea is saying here, I want to rebuild our lives together. But, but, but Gomer, there's hurt here. There's going to be a period of time where we're, we're not together because we have to do the hard work of, of getting through everything that's happened. But I promise you this, indeed, I will be yours. Indeed, I will be faithful to you. You see, Hosea is not, it doesn't carry this kind of naive, uh, kind of hallmark, you know, everything's going to be great, you know, happily ever after picture here. But what it is, is it's showing us that love costs. It's showing us that he's willing to pay the price for his love for her. He's already paid the financial price. He's paid the, the, the social and, and cultural price. I mean, imagine him going in the marketplace and all of his friends saying, what are you doing? She has been unfaithful to you. Why would you buy her back? Why would you bring her back as your wife? And in that moment now, we see that even through all that, he is now paying the emotional price. Jose says, I, look, it, this hurt. I just can't climb back in bed with you, Gomer. But know this, that I am willing to pay that price because I will behave the same way towards you. I will be faithful to you. You see, the whole idea here is that Hosea is an image for us. It is an example for us of how God loves and pursues us. Hosea was in love with Gomer. God is in love with his people. Hosea was betrayed by Gomer, and God has been betrayed by us. But Hosea pays an enormous price to get her back, and God indeed would pay the ultimate price to get us back. And how does God pay that price for us? How does he enter the marketplace to redeem and rescue us? We'll look at verse 4 and 5. It's a little cryptic because it's prophecy, but look what it says. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days. There's that time period again. Shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. There's the healing of the relationship. And David their king and they shall come in fear to the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now the question has to become here, it says David will be their king. Well, David's dead. So how could David be their king? Well, it must be pointing to a descendant of David, right? It's pointing forward to the arrival, to the advent of the son of David, the one who was born in the town of David. Jesus himself is not just the descendant of David who will be their king, but as this relationship, this marriage language we've been talking about, Jesus is the one who fulfills that in the New Testament as well. And he is our bridegroom. Matthew chapter 9, it says, why, uh, they, they asked the, uh, Jesus this question, why don't your disciples fast? And in Matthew chapter 9, he answers them, he says this, do the friends of the bridegroom fast when they're with the bridegroom? You know what Jesus is saying there in that moment? He is calling himself the bridegroom. And all of Israel knew that God was their bridegroom. 
the Lord, Yahweh, he was their bridegroom. In Jesus' moment, he is declaring, I am the bridegroom, I have come, and soon there will be fasting and mourning when I depart, but I have arrived and have arrived to die for you. I have arrived to pay that cost for you. My advent is I have come, I have entered the world in the celebration of Christmas, I have arrived to come and to pay that price, to enter into the marketplace for you, so that you can be clothed of your nakedness with my righteousness. I have come and I will pay the ultimate price for you to win you back from your enslavement. God is saying here, I am the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom who has come down the aisle to sweep us up in his arms. And he has displayed that love for us through his sacrifice, that he willingly would lay down his life for us so that our sin, our evil, our problems, our betrayal, our unfaithfulness will be placed on him on the cross and his righteousness given to us. That is how much he loves us. That is how much he delights in his relationship with us this morning. So as we come to the time of the Lord's Supper, there's just a few perhaps ways we can think about this and apply it to our lives this Christmas season. Number one, if you're going through a hard season right now, if you feel like you've been asked to do hard things like Hosea, know God is faithful to you still. And the, most, the, the hardest seasons of life, in the hardest moments in life, it is easy for us to believe that God is not faithful but he is. He has loved you still. He is steadfast in his pursuit of you. He stands and he fights for you in those moments. And so if you're in a moment of suffering, if you feel like Hosea and you've been asked to do something incredibly hard and painful, know that God is with you and he has paid the ultimate price to be with you. Secondly, I'm not going to be too naive to realize that I've said the word marriage a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of us in this room who desire marriage. And I just want to point this out for a moment. That, that Hosea reminds us that if we do desire this, whether we have a fear of never being married one day or, or we're angry because we're not there yet, that Hosea teaches us simply this, that, that until we have a marriage love with our Savior, until we're able to see him as the ultimate bridegroom, the one our hearts should yearn for, until we're able to see him as the one that we await for, until that becomes so real that he is the only one who can satisfy our hearts and he is the one who we want more than anything, until we understand that, we will always overwant marriage and we will always idolize it. And in fact, it can enslave us, just like this passage teaches us. And if you are married and you don't have that type of love for Jesus, then you and I, we will be lousy spouses. Because we will try to do, we will try to see our spouse as something that they cannot give us, as Christ himself. They will put more on them than they can bear, and either they will fall or we will become cynical. One of those two things will happen. So the point here is simply this, that Jesus tells us he is the spouse we need. And let's go to him in that way so that we don't poorly be married or be poorly unmarried. And then finally, just a reminder, we are Gomer. At the end of the day, we are the spiritual adulterers in this story. We're the ones who want to have it our ways. We're the ones who willingly reject God's faithfulness time and time again for the fleeting one-night stands of other idols in our hearts. And listen, if that is you today, because that is me today, I know it's hard to admit. But when we come to a place where we realize we're no different than Gomer, then we can come to a place of finally receiving the comfort of his love this morning. That even though we have failed time and time again, this Advent season, the reminder is that God's great love for us is because of his faithfulness, not because of ours. That God's great love for us is not a reward because of what we've done, right? It is the gift of what he has done this Christmas. And so we can come to him today and we can know that he is the one who frees us from our own captivity. He is the one who has set us free in our hearts because of his great love for us, because of his faithfulness to us. But again, God just didn't want just Hosea to, to learn about his love. He wanted them to be a giver of his love. And the same is true for us. 
If we've experienced the the outstretched arms of Jesus this morning, if we've experienced the power and the potency of his love this morning, that he is calling us to then go and be those hands and those outreach arms to others. He is calling us to embrace others the way he has embraced us. And in a season like Christmas where there's so much joy, I can promise you there are people who are suffering, who are lonely, who feel abandoned, who feel neglected, who feel forsaken, more so at this time of the year than any other time. And we have a great opportunity to display the exact same love that God has displayed to us by pursuing them with faithfulness and steadfastness. I encourage you to to pursue love of others like Christ has pursued love for you. And so as we come to the Lord's table in communion this morning, you're reminded of this one truth that we've said time and time again, that Christ loves you. He does. He absolutely loves you. He's willing to stand for you in the marketplace. He is willing to cover your shame. He is willing to fight for you. He is willing to give you new life that you don't deserve. And that should be our heartbeat day by day until we see him face to face and we're able to gather around the best wedding feast you'll ever experience with our bridegroom. And until that moment, when we come to the table in just a moment, we're coming to the rehearsal dinner. Every week we get to rehearse it until that day. Every week we get to come and we get to renew the sense of love and dedication and vows that we commit to our Savior who is always faithful to us. And so as we come to the Lord's table today, we come as those who have a chance to come to him freely to repent of our unfaithfulness and receive his free gift of grace. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.